If you're a Christian, you're not intended to live that life in isolation. You were born of God for community, born to share in a local fellowship, a ministry to other Christians, and with other Christians, a ministry to those yet to know Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. To learn more about our radio ministry or our fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Arguably, the greatest apostle, pastor, and evangelist the church has ever known was Paul. In Romans chapter 1, verses 7 through 13, Paul reveals to those he's planning to go to and to minister to the attitudes he brought with him for that work among them. This is important. For in these verses, we learn the attitudes we ourselves must bring before those we go to for Christian fellowship and those we go to in order to make the gospel known to them. What's the attitude? What's the spirit? What's the mindset we're supposed to have? And again, uniquely here, Paul is going to a church. He's going to a place where the Lord has produced the fruit of individuals who respond to the gospel, who have confessed their sins, who have believed in Jesus Christ, and they've been transformed, and they've been regenerate, and he wants to go and experience life with them, and he wants to minister to them, and his entrance into their presence shows us something of the way in which we should be engaging and entering before one another and ministering to one another. And so off of that, we've made a number of observations. And the first thing that we observed, and now we're doing a bit of review, and I mentioned this to someone just this week. I keep going back and doing these reviews because each time I do them, I find myself edified. And I'm going to keep mentioning them until I think we're ready to move on. But I'm slowing down in this passage because it's blessing me and speaking to me. You might understand why. I don't know how you have conceived your life, but for the last 30 years, I've thought of myself as a minister to the body of Christ. I've recognized that God has called me to a unique and central point in my life to minister to other brothers and sisters in Christ. I've not always had it, done it in the right way or with the right attitude. And so I find in these things something correcting me, but also something encouraging me, something saying these are the things that are important. And then as I look at them and I see them, I really recognize that this is not just a word for pastors. This is not for a person whose profession it is to minister to the body of Christ in that way, but this is God's word for all of us. This is an expression of what he's wanting to identify in our fellowship and our lives together. And so I want to go slow through this for my own sake, but I want to go through it slowly for your sakes as well. The first thing that we noticed here is that as Paul approached those in the church and those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, he approaches them with a mindset that these are the people of God. These individuals are individuals who have entered into a covenant relationship with God. These are individuals who are loved of God and they're called of God. And as a result, they are heirs of God's productive grace, the outpouring of God's grace, seeking to shape them and mold them and to benefit them and to lead them into conformity to Christ. And these are also heirs of that peace with God that brings God's presence into our life and opens up to us, you might say, that broad space of wholeness with him in which we're to develop 
develop our life and to live out our lives, there's nothing better than, as a child, for example, living their life under the watchful eye of their parents. If you want to see a peaceful setting for a child, have a parent at the window, let's say washing the ditches, just inside the house and just outside the window, have the child knowing that's where the parent is, playing in their sandbox. That's peace for that child. It's living their life knowing they're under the eye of a parent that's watching, caring, and keeping over them. And that's peace for the Christian child as well. And it's what we're heirs to. Given our life to Jesus Christ, we've been reconciled to God the Father. He's watching over us. He's desiring our best. He wants to pour out his rich graces upon us. He wants us to live in this context of settled peace so that we can be nourished and grow and develop We should approach one another in the church and fellow believers with this conception, that they are the people of God, that they are members of God's family and God's household, that they are deeply loved ones. They are those that he has called, and theirs is the life of grace, and theirs is the life of enjoying to be lived in the wholeness of God. And What it means is we should be elevating our concept of one another as we go before and are with one another. And sometimes this is difficult because... Well, we get to know one another, right? And we begin to see things in our lives that we're disappointed in or we're not expecting. And we still have this mindset. Paul has not lost this mindset of the church, although he's been ministering to the church for over 20 years. And he's seen it all. And he's experienced the disappointment. He's addressed on a number of different occasions the conflicts that are going in the church. He's writing this letter, having been in Corinth one last time, having had to come to them because of the division and the struggles and the issues in their life, having had to confront them and correct them. And the second time that he writes them, he writes them and says, now do I need to come to you? I don't really want to come to you because if I come to you, I'm going to have to come to you with sternness and correction. And he's gone to Corinth now and he's departing from Corinth. That he still has this mindset of the body of Christ in the church. He still sees them this way. Individuals called of God means that we're to elevate our concept of one another. We're to see each other bearing the regal or royal lineage of those who are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are to regard one another with this elevated view. Second thing we see is this. Paul not only recognized these people as the people of God, but he was also, and I think this is because the Spirit of God was working in his life, that he wasn't engaging them just in his flesh. He wasn't engaging just on the basis of these are really impressive people. He was seeing them as the Spirit of Christ saw them as the redeemed of God that God was working on to perfect and to purify in order that one day he might present them unto himself as a pure and spotless bride. And so when Paul sees them this way, he he not only sees them as the people of God, but he's glad that it's so. He's thankful that that's the case. It's actually a source of great joy and identity with them. When he finds them, he's happy to find the people of God and he rejoices to find the people of God and he immediately embraces them into fellowship. Again, this is important for ourselves. He's not reluctant or jealous to grant them this status as the people of God. And I have to say that there is, in my mind, a great correction for us in this as well. These are the reasons we should rejoice in fellowship with one another. And I think to some extent the calculation changes with us nowadays. In fact, the more that there's more upheaval in our society around us, the more that the society tends to be going to extreme, falling into ditches on the left and the right in terms of opinion and madness, the more that we try to find individuals that are prejudicial to whatever unique madness we're prejudicial to, right? So we want to find individuals who maybe they just hold the same political views that we have. Maybe we'll have fellowship if we find out if they voted for the same person that we voted for. Maybe we want to identify with the person who thinks 
The same things are crazy that we think are crazy around us, and oh, we rejoice to find it so. That's not our fellowship. That's not what Paul's rejoicing over. I have had the wonderful privilege that has taken me to a number of different countries, and in that place, we've worked with brothers and sisters to share with them how it is that they can share Christ with others and what Christ is doing in their life. We've sung together. Oftentimes we'll get together and we can't speak the same language, but we'll search for a tune that we know, a hymn that we know together, some song that we know together, and then we'll find ourselves singing it because we know what the words are they're singing and we find fellowship in that way. And, but you know, what's interesting is they don't share the same political views I share, we'll find out. I've been with brothers and sisters and been surprised to find out that they're actually quite committed in their socialist ideas. And they're one person I remember just before COVID struck, I was in Mexico City, and all the brothers, there was one particular brother that particularly enjoyed me. We kept enjoying the ministry we had in Christ, and it was wonderful fellowship. And he gave me a little fedora that he brought with him because I admired his hat, and so he bought me a fedora. And then Later on in the day, the brothers would sit around and joking, and they told us, well, you know, one of the things you need about this brother is that he's a leader in his community, and he's a very strong communist. I said, what? He's a very strong communist. Well, I was having fellowship with him. I didn't know whether I should continue. No, I did. I knew to continue that fellowship with him, because that's where our hearts were bound to one another. It wasn't that we shared those views. It can even become a problem. We can step away from this as well. We can decide, well, I'll have fellowship with another believer, but I first need to make sure that they share the same theological views that I share. I need to know whether they're an Arminian or whether they're a Calvinist. I need to know what their view is on eschatology. Do they believe in the pre-tribulational rapture or do they believe in the rapture at all? Or do they believe in the premillennium or are they post-millennial or whatever it is? And so we've got to find that out. We've got to find out just what groove they're lining up in and then we'll... Oh, rejoice to find that they're children of God. I'm not saying that theology isn't important. In fact, this whole book is a wonderful theological treatise. I do find, by the way, that there are individuals who, according to whatever their suppositions are, kind of force and insinuate some of the theological positions through what Paul is writing here so they can be backed up by Paul. And sometimes they're right, I think, and sometimes I think they're pressing it a little bit too hard, but... I would say it's dangerous as they press harder that then to decide that that's the subscription and that's what they're looking for in order to find the people that are going to rejoice to find it so. Find their faith and their testimony in their solid belief in the determinism, divine determinism, or their solid belief in free will. And No, that's not the basis on which we find fellowship with one another. It's just that they are heirs of the grace of God, loved of God, called of God, brought forward by God to live in peace and to have the life of Christ shaped in them and they've put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Rejoice in that. It's not because of their political position. It's not even necessarily because they dot the I and cross the T of their theology in the exact same way that we dot the I and cross the T. It's not that. I have a couple illustrations that popped to my mind. I remember hearing the story of an individual who was a missionary. I think it was in Turkey. He talked about the fact, you know, in Turkey, we don't, we don't try to find and meet a person on the street, and if we find that they're a Christian, we don't stop first to find out whether they're a Pentecostal or a Baptist. Whether we should really be communing with them. Now, if we find a person in Turkey that has, identifies as a Christian and believes that Christ is saving your Lord, we don't look to see what their theological position is. We look to find some place on the side of the road that we can pull off and put our arms around one another and weep and rejoice and pray in the name of the Lord Jesus together because there's so few of us. 
I have a brother that I met many years ago in my first church by the name of Peter Wichrock. And Peter Wichrock was a colonel in the Canadian Air Force. And during the Korean War, he had actually been a part of the process in North Korea in which they were trying to resolve the conflict that was taking place between North Korea and South Korea and settle all the things. And in that place where the United Nations had sent their various dignitaries, of which he was one of them from Canada, there were also dignitaries from communist countries, including a colonel from Russia. And so they would meet together in this place and they would have their long protracted, and it took years as they were negotiating and talking about these things. But on one occasion he was in his bedroom having met this colonel from Russia and he heard a knock. It was late at night and he heard a knock on his door and here it was this Russian colonel. And the Russian colonel gestured to him. They couldn't speak to one another. They didn't speak the same language that he wanted to come in. And then when the Russian colonel came in, he motioned to a table in the room and Peter sat down and the man brought out a, a bottle of wine and put it on the table. And then he brought out a loaf of bread and then he began to use his hands like this and to say things. And Peter realized that he was pretending with his hands that he was having a Bible before him. And he was wanting to read scripture. And so Peter went and found his Bible and opened it up. He realized this man wanted to have communion with him. The two of them, he poured out the wine and they poured out the bread and then Peter read from 1 Corinthians and from the gospel accounts the story of the communion meal that Christ had with his disciples and that the bread represented the body of Christ and the cup represented his blood that was shed. For you know, he read over a portion of it, he prayed and then the man quoted from heart scripture that he knew and he prayed over the cup and they drank and ate the bread together and he said it was the most beautiful communion service he'd ever had in his life. Because they were glad to have it so. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.